making sense from the latest COVID-19 news. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Information on COVID-19 continues to make headlines. New coronavirus infections in the United States dropped nearly 60% since the September spike brought on by the Delta variant. Children 5 to 11 roll up their sleeves to get vaccinated. The CDC says some people with weakened immune systems who received either the Moderna or Pfizer coronavirus vaccine could get a fourth shot. The White House wants all companies with over 100 employees to mandate vaccinations by early January. And the UK becomes the first country to authorize approval of the first pill to treat COVID. Back with us to put all this news in perspective is our resident COVID expert, Dr. Ed Telzak, infectious disease specialist and chair of medicine at SBH Health System. Welcome back, Dr. Telzak. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to be with you again. So let's start out with the vaccines for children five to 11. Is there any reason for children not to get vaccinated as far as you're concerned? Uh, no, there isn't. And I think it's worth providing some information on this. So as you mentioned, the vaccine very recently within the last couple of days was approved by both the FDA and the CDC for children between the ages of five and 11. Uh, previously, those between the ages of 12 and 16 received approval, and there was reasonable uptake among that group of children. These trials were much smaller, obviously, than the original trials. They included about 4,600 children. It's uh, important to emphasize that there were no serious side effects that were seen in this group of children, and it was felt to be 91% or so effective in preventing infection. Very few children were hospitalized. No one died during this trial. And so the FDA and CDC sort of did their own assessment of what are the potential risks of the vaccine. They felt that was very small. And what are the potential benefits? Well, we know that COVID is a less serious disease among young children. Nevertheless, they represent about more than a thousand admissions and children ages five to 11, 146 died from COVID. And so it makes it the eighth most common cause of death in that age group. So in the risk benefit calculus, it was felt and I agree very strongly that young children should be vaccinated. So there's that issue, and there's the issue of what the potential impact can be when having a whole new population of at-risk individuals being vaccinated and what that means for the epidemic as a whole. And it can only mean positive things for the epidemic as a whole. So I think there's no question that children of this age group should get vaccinated. And I would just additionally mention that there are many, many vaccines that are given that are mandatory for children. And they're all safe, as is this vaccine, but none of the other vaccines have the impact on illness, hospitalization, and death 
as this vaccine will have. And so I think it's a pretty straightforward conclusion. I was going to say this is very compelling, and yet I think certain polls show that only one in three parents are ready to have their child get vaccinated. I mean, how does that seem to make sense in light of what you're telling me? Well, I think parents are very cautious when it comes to relatively new vaccines being given to their children. And I think that's understandable on some level. The rollout of this vaccine is considerably different than in adolescents or, and certainly in adults. Most of the children will be getting the vaccine in pediatricians' offices or in schools where there are trusted adults who are giving them advice to take the vaccine. And so I think at the beginning, you know, the one third or 40% of parents who are in favor of giving their kids the vaccine will rush to get it. It represents a major step forward in terms of these kids and these families going back to a more normal life. I think as more and more children get the vaccine, as parents take their children of this age to the pediatrician's office and the trusted pediatrician advises the parents to give the child the vaccine, I think that there'll be considerable uptake in this vaccine. But time will tell. It's certainly not going to be a mandatory vaccine for the foreseeable future. Now, I know, obviously, a lot of adults are getting booster shots, you know, six to eight months after they got their initial vaccine. Is this something that we're going to be looking at in the future where every six to eight months we're going to need a booster shot? Before I directly address that question, I think it's worth noting that the most important vaccine intervention is to get the unvaccinated vaccinated. That still has to be the priority. This is the group that has many fold higher rates of getting infected, of being hospitalized, and has an age-adjusted 12-fold higher risk of dying from COVID than vaccinated individuals. So I think this really needs to be the focus. Now, there is, I think, growing evidence that there's waning immunity among certain groups of individuals. So those over the age of 65 and those with significant immunosuppressive disorders or on significant immunosuppressive drugs. That group has been shown to have decreased antibody. Now, antibody is not the only measure of immunity towards COVID, but it's a relatively easy measurable parameter. And so I think the group that is now recommended to get the third shot, it is possible that that group will need additional boosters. I would say that there are some viral illnesses, hepatitis B, for example, that three vaccines give you a very durable protection against uh, hepatitis B. Whether the third vaccine will give you durable protection, the third injection or the so-called booster shot or not, time will tell. We don't have enough data yet. Will we need a fourth shot or a fifth shot? Will there be other variants, and so the mRNA vaccine 
will need to be tweaked or the, you know, adenovirus vector vaccines, J&J, AstraZeneca will need to be tweaked. I think only time will tell. But I think for the groups in whom a booster is currently recommended, I would strongly agree that that group get it. And that group also includes individuals who are likely to have significant exposure to COVID. And that means all healthcare workers. Well, let me ask you a question. I, I heard when the city employees were mandated to get vaccinated, certain firemen and, and, and policemen were saying, well, you know, I had the virus. I have natural immunity. Or most recently, we heard about Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, who said, well, he had a therapy that gave him more antibodies so he didn't get vaccinated. What do you say to people like that? The likelihood is that past infection provides a certain degree of immunity, but there is relatively compelling evidence that even those who have previously been infected and have this relative degree of immunity benefit greatly from the vaccine. And so I would say that everyone needs to be vaccinated. I wouldn't completely discount past infection. Other types of therapy, I'm not sure about the Aaron Rodgers story. You know, I think there's a lot of information that's not scientifically validated, and I'm being generous, that's circulating. But past infection does probably provide some degree of immunity, but not to the degree that the vaccine provides. And certainly vaccine plus past infection provides potent protection. I know, you know, the White House came out with an announcement today about wanting to have vaccine mandates for all large employers, you know, companies with over 100 employees. And I know one argument against it is the fact that, well, you know, numbers are down now. You know, the, the number of people infected is far lower than it was even just a few months ago. Is now the time to you know, include vaccine mandates on the corporate level for union workers, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I'm a strong advocate for mandatory vaccines. And so I think mandatory vaccines appear to get large proportions of the population vaccinated. And so it's already a federal mandate that federal workers, including military, receive the vaccine. In New York City, all healthcare workers needed to get vaccinated and teachers and now all employees of the city are required to get a vaccination. It's good to be vaccinated when we're in the midst of a peak or a surge. I think it's good to be vaccinated when we're at a nadir. And I think it's good to be vaccinated anywhere in between. I think it's really vaccination that is at the moment still the major tool that we have to control the virus. The southern states just had a very dramatic surge from Texas through Florida, that whole southern belt, largely due to the low vaccination rates. Currently, there's a surge in Alaska and the North Midwest due to low vaccination rates the proportion of the population that is vaccinated 
very much impacts whether or not a geographic area will experience another surge based on when and where we have seen surges before. You know, I think the virus and looking at it from the virus's point of view, they're looking for susceptible hosts. The virus needs a susceptible host, which is why I think it's so important for five to 11 year olds to be vaccinated and why it's so important for really all workers to be vaccinated. I think the federal mandate of companies with more than 100 workers, I'm fully in support of. And in fact, there are a number of very notable companies, Tyson, United Airlines, Alaska Airlines, that have had extremely successful vaccine campaigns where 1% or fewer of workers have decided not to be vaccinated. The side effects have really been very short term and ultimately trivial side effects relative to the protection. The timeline for the federal government is January 4th. And I think part of the rationale is let's get through the winter season. Let's not sort of, you know, blow this, the economy on this particular issue at this particular time. But I think soon thereafter, everyone, I think companies should protect themselves, protect their workers by insisting on their workers getting vaccinated, especially companies where remote working is not a possibility. And I think all municipal, state, and federal workers also need to get vaccinated. What do you think about those municipalities, even some in the New York area, that are relaxing indoor mask mandates? Is it too early? One of the lessons of COVID is how little we learn from the experience of others. Before we had our first cases, China and Italy had incredible surges very high rates of morbidity and mortality, and we didn't really learn from that experience. I think the experience we're not learning from at the moment is the experience of some of the Western European countries. In particular, I would highlight Britain. Britain was relatively late to the vaccine game, but right now, those over the age of 16, they have about a 80% rate of vaccination. They were late in the 12 to 15-year-olds, and they just started vaccinating last month. So 20% of that group is vaccinated, but those rates will increase dramatically over the next month. But once Britain achieved, you know, they had some very serious lockdowns in the spring and the early summer, but once they achieved a certain level of vaccination, they basically gave up all notions of social distancing and vaccines and masks and mask wearing. And so they had very much a live and let live attitude. So schools, children in schools weren't using masks. You know, you can go to any restaurant, any bar, no one checks your vaccine status. There's no mask wearing. There are enormous gatherings indoors, weddings where there's no mask wearing and obviously no social distancing. And in fact, even with a highly vaccinated population in Britain, they are in the midst of a surge now. Some of the surge is due to the 20% that are not vaccinated and younger children who haven't really had the opportunity to be vaccinated, but their rates among vaccinated is not trivial. And I think that largely has to do 
with the fact that there's no no sense that it's important to wear a mask or to socially distance under certain circumstances. Using that as a cautionary tale, it's actually quite similar. I was hearing a story this morning about Berlin, highly vaccinated, no mask mandates, no social distancing, very high rates uh, within the city, high hospitalization rates, and beginning to see increasing mortality. So with that in mind, I'm very cautious. I would not go to an indoor wedding at the moment. I still eat outdoors at restaurants, but I think, you know, restaurants in New York are screening for vaccination status. You need to wear a mask when you're not eating. I think those are very reasonable and very likely effective precautions to keep the rates in New York City as low as they are now. I actually think that New York City over the last number of months, their policies and procedures are right on target. Let's change to another area very quickly. Merck's new drug, which just got UK authorization. Is this a game changer? So malnupiravir. You know, once again, a little bit of background. We've had monoclonal antibodies available in this country. The cost is about a couple thousand dollars. They need to be given intravenously. They are for individuals who are symptomatically infected and have an underlying risk that might predispose them to hospitalization and or more severe outcomes. This has been a challenging agent to use because it requires a medical facility. It's a half hour infusion with approximately an hour of observation by a medical professional. So here at St. Barnabas, we have a hospital room with a nurse that we've been contacting patients who are positive and symptomatic and making the effort to bring them back to the hospital often or if in their emergency room and they test positive and they don't need to be hospitalized to give them the monoclonal antibodies. There's more than one monoclonal antibody. We use Regeneron, there are others, and there are a number of phase three trials that are testing the efficacy and safety of yet more monoclonal antibodies that are given through the vein, parenterally or some subcutaneously. But they basically involve a major interaction with the medical system. The malnupiravir is the first approved oral antiviral agent. Originally, it was developed for influenza, was taken off the shelf, had in vitro efficacy, and then Merck enrolled a comparable group of patients that we would give the monoclonal antibody to. So they're documented to be COVID positive. They have mild to moderate disease. They have risk factors for hospitalizations and or more severe outcomes, including death. And they enrolled almost 800 patients. It was a randomized controlled trial, which is our highest level of proof in clinical medicine. And of the group that got placebo, 14% were hospitalized or died, which was the outcome. And of the group that got the active agent, malnupiravir, 7%. 
So there was a 50% reduction in hospitalization or death. But most dramatically, in the placebo group, and there were 375 or so patients in that group, in the placebo group, there were eight deaths. And in the malnupiravir group, there were also about 380 patients in that group. No one died. So the decreasing hospitalization is notable. The difference in the numbers of individuals who died by getting this drug is very dramatic. I think that it absolutely can be a game changer. It's less costly. Now, it's certainly not cheap. It's $700 for a five-day course of uh, medication, pills taken twice a day. But that's compared to about $2,000 for the monoclonal antibody, not to mention all of the associated medical care that's required to give the monoclonal antibody and to observe the patient after the infusion is finished and to bring them back to a medical facility if necessary. So I think this oral agent, which is likely to be the first of many, a number of other pharmaceutical companies, Gilead perhaps most notably, is well on their way to completing phase three trials. So I think an oral agent, much like we have in influenza, could be a real game changer. How far away are we talking? Well, within weeks, we'll be distributing this drug, prescribing this drug. I think the time course for our country is probably one to two months. So what there are also trials going on to see if a person with COVID who takes malnupiravir has decreasing transmission to household contacts. So they enroll the index case with COVID, and then they monitor the household contacts to see what the rate of transmission is. This could also have a, a significant impact if it's shown to decrease the rate of transmission significantly on the dynamics of the epidemic as a whole. It's really a very exciting advance and I'm quite hopeful that, you know, this will be a game changer for those who are vaccinated and have what's called a breakthrough infection. But it is not a substitute for getting vaccinated for all of those who are unvaccinated. Good point. Let me ask the last question because we're running out of time here. Is COVID with us forever? Are we going to need to learn to live with it? That's a question at the moment has no answer, but I would say no definitive answer. I think there are many experts who feel like we will need to manage COVID and that we will not eliminate COVID. I think we should work on that assumption. You know, vaccines are highly effective. But the point I made in Britain, there are many breakthrough infections. There are certainly breakthrough infections that we see uh, regularly here, but not nearly to the degree as those who are unvaccinated. And uh, breakthrough infections usually don't result in hospitalization or more severe outcomes. I think we will have to, for the foreseeable future, live with COVID. And I think the armamentarium that we're amassing vaccines, vaccines that can be tweaked if variants arise, and then monoclonal antibodies, 
oral antiviral agents. I think all of these can be harnessed to keep COVID at bay. And I'd like to make one final point, if I may. Sure. Which is, we've really focused on the United States, on Western Europe. COVID remains a worldwide pandemic. You know, millions of people are dying from COVID. Much of the world remains unvaccinated or certainly under-vaccinated. And in order to protect ourselves, United States citizens, we need to have a global effort to control COVID because it's from the areas where vaccines are very limited that the variants will arise. And variants are unpredictable. So far, we have no, quote, variants of interest that are being monitored at the moment, but variants can be more transmissible. Variants can have higher morbidity and mortality rates. Variants conceivably can bypass vaccinations. So this really needs to be a worldwide effort in order to control COVID fully on a local level as well. Uh, Dr. Telzek, thank you for your time again. This was really very informative. I appreciate it. I know how busy you are. For more information on services at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. Until next time.